Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. But I do have the privilege to introduce our teacher. Um, so I don't know if you guys know this, but City Church was planted from a church in South Carolina. And City Church is actually part of a uh, church planting network that we regularly give to. So we can, more churches that's gospel center can be planted all over the United States. So once a while, we'll actually swap our, uh, we'll send one of our pastors to our sending church. And then they will send one of theirs over here so we can constantly just spend some time with each other, say hi to each other, even learn from one another. So this week, we, pa- we put Ken in a FedEx box, shipped him back to South Carolina, and then they sent uh, my good friend Jake, uh, so he will be learning from him today. And um, one little thing I want you guys to know about Jake is his love language is like a slow clap welcome. It's only awkward if you make it awkward, but he loves it, so I would love for us to do like a really slow clap welcome as Jake comes up. Wow, look at that. Okay, all right. Thanks, Jeff, appreciate that. Well, how are we doing this morning? Good. As Jeff said, my name is Jake. This is my first time teaching at this building, which is awesome. Like, I got here early this morning and was just wandering the hallways like a creeper, just like, whoa, look at this. Uh, But prior to that, I was teaching, I taught at the Jackson Terminal a couple times. Anyone remember those days? Right on, right on. Uh, And yeah, it's good to be with you guys. And um, growing up, when I went to church, whenever there was a guest teacher, they always showed a picture of their family. I don't know if you have that background or experience. So I don't want to be one to disappoint you. So boom, there we go. Here's a picture of my family. And there's my wife, Lucy. We've been married now some eight and a half years. Uh, This is the best picture we took. Like, we were taking pictures for five minutes straight. This is the best we got. Uh, There's Caroline. She is six and a half, the one who is trying to smile. Uh, She's six and a half. My son, Sawyer. Uh, Again, that's his best attempt at a smile. He just turned five on Friday. And then there's our daughter, Kate. She's our youngest right now. She just turned three a couple weeks ago. So uh, it is very crazy for us in Columbia, South Carolina. It is a very loud household, but I love it a lot. And uh, very last thing for us, uh, before we get into it, at Midtown, where I teach, uh, our folks tend to be pretty responsive. So I'd love if you helped me feel like I was home, if y'all could just be responsive when I teach. Could we do that? That was a test. You all passed that test. Way to go. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, as we just read. And this is a shorter teaching of Jesus, but this is something that has a lot of practical application for us. And to catch you up to speed, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what's known as the kingdom of heaven. And if you had to summarize Jesus' life and ministry and what he was all about, I think he would say it's this. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. So when you look at Matthew chapter 4, one of the very first things that he says is repent and believe the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. When he heals the lame and the blind, he's giving people a preview, a snapshot of what life in the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. When he dies on the cross and conquers death, he, he sits enthroned as the king over everything, inviting all of us to enter into, to participate in the kingdom of heaven and what it's all about. This idea is just so massive. Jesus is all about this. And so in Matthew chapter 13, he's just given one parable after another, trying to communicate just how big and how crucial the kingdom of heaven is. And he's given one illustration after another because one illustration just doesn't cut it. And so in Matthew chapter 13, we're kind of dropped in on this, and he's just given us one parable after another, talking about the kingdom. Now, before we move on, uh, we got to define our terms a little bit. What is the kingdom of heaven? There's one theologian who said it like this that I like. He says, the kingdom of heaven is God's people living under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's God's people living under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. So this is not just you get to be with Jesus when you die one day, although that is certainly true. But the kingdom of heaven is more than that. It's not just I get to be with Jesus when I die, but the kingdom of heaven is I can be with Jesus now before I die. It's not just how can I experience heaven one day, but how can I experience life in the kingdom? How can I experience heaven right now in my life? And this kingdom vision that Jesus wants for us is honestly, I think, something deep down all of us really want. So if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you are here. And just so you know, Jesus wants for you more than anything to experience life in the kingdom. So I'm going to read that text for us again, and then we'll unpack it a little bit more, okay? Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And then he repeats something very similar. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So like I said, this passage is in a bunch of, is a series of parables and illustrations. Jesus is trying to get his audience to really understand and to capture here really the big idea. And when it comes to parables, generally speaking, there's usually one big idea that Jesus is trying to communicate, and then there tends to be one strange detail to sort of capture the listener's attention and imagination. So first thing is, what is the big idea in these two parables? Because they're essentially getting across the same thing, and if you look at the Greek New Testament and if you put them up side by side, the Greek is really similar with these two parables. But it's essentially about a person who discovers something of incredible value, and then out of a response of that discovery, he goes and he buys whatever it is that he found. One commentator put it like this. He says, it's like the treasure, the kingdom is the source of highest joy. As seen in the pearl, the kingdom should be deemed as the most precious possession. I love that. The kingdom of heaven is the source of highest joy possible. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The source of highest joy. 
In other words, uh, your most prized possession that you will do anything to get. And you just want more and more of it. It's this idea of once they discover just how valuable it is, they, they want to give everything they can so that they can possess this. And it's this idea that uh, one, whenever you've discovered something that is just of such enormous value, you will do everything you can to experience that, to get that for yourself. And Jesus is saying here that the treasure, the pearl of great price, is life in the kingdom. It's, exper- it's to experience God's love, his rule, his reign over your life, to experience his love and joy and peace over you. And once you understand that by faith in Jesus as him being your king, you realize you already have it. And so you want to give everything you can to experience that more and more and more in your life. So that's the big idea, but what's the strange detail? And I I think it's this in these parables, is that the pearl, the treasure, they are hidden. They are hidden in plain sight. Only one person discovers it when no one else has seen it before. Which, I don't know about you, like, hearing this parable, like, this doesn't really connect with me. I don't know if y'all, like, go search for treasure. I don't know if that's what people do in Knoxville. I certainly don't, but uh, to think of it perhaps in a modern-day parable, uh, think about it like this. Uh, Right now, I am 33, and I'm at the age right now where all my friends are really interested in stocks, which I don't get. Like, it seemed like once I turned 30, someone just said, okay, you have to be into stocks now, and it seems like that's what all my friends are doing. And two of my friends, to contrast real quick, Uh, I've got one friend who is like super into it, like reading all the analysis and the news. And I remember one day he walks into a room and says, hey, I know the next big thing. I've discovered what the next big thing is that I'm just putting all my money towards. We're like, oh, what's that? And he says, shrimp. (laughs) All right, cool. Sure. He said, no, no, no. Uh, Someone just invented this technology to clean shrimp in such a way that it's going to like mass produce shrimp and it's going to like change the shrimp game so i'm just going to give all my money towards this you're like all right shrimp cool that's great uh two weeks later the stock tanks and he walks into the room just head down really sad because apparently you know the shrimp game's just going to stay the same i don't know if you have any shrimp fans out here the the industry is going to look like it's it's going to be about the same But I have another buddy of mine, uh, also my age, whose great-great-great-grandparents invested in this, like, young up-and-comer stock. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. It's pretty obscure. Coca-Cola. I don't know if y'all have heard that. I know it's this indie brand. But they invested so much money into this stock, safe to say, it worked out pretty well for him, right? And the thing is, like, I don't do stocks. To me, that feels like gambling, and it just, like, freaks me out. However, if you knew beyond certainty that your stock was the next Coca-Cola, I would imagine you would dump as much money as possible into that because you knew that the more you invested, the more you would get back in return. And Jesus is saying, in a sense, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, that the more you give up, the more you get back. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The more you give up, the more you get back and more. 
to where it's not really a sacrifice at all, right? In the grand scheme of things. You're just delaying some gratification right now so you can reap all the benefits later down the road. And this is, in fact, when Jesus is talking about this, the more you give up, the more you get back, is a theme we see traced all along in the Gospels. So in Matthew chapter 19, spoiler alert, I know we're in Matthew 13, so spoiler alert, Matthew 19. Jesus says this when it comes to friendship and family. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers, sisters or father or mother, children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying, the more you give up, the more you get back. We see this elsewhere in Matthew chapter 16. Again, spoiler alert, Matthew 16. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, give up your life. Give up your desires, your passions. Trade it in for my desires and my passions, what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And only then will you discover what life is really meant for. Jesus has this sort of investment mindset. Give up so you can get more in return. In fact, this is how the early church understood Jesus' commands. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see the early church having this sort of mentality, giving all their stuff away whenever there was a need that would arise so that church leaders would be supported, churches could go get planted, more people would get welcomed into the family of God. In a time when the church was under immense persecution, Christians would still give everything away for the kingdom because they realized the kingdom of heaven was bigger than them. And it was bigger than their stuff. And it was bigger than how they spent their time or whatever. They knew that the more they gave away, the more they would reap all the benefits of this sort of kingdom life that Jesus is offering for us. And what Jesus is saying here is essentially my kingdom is different than how you think of your kingdom. My, my kingdom is hidden, and it's hidden in plain sight. And not a lot of people understand this, but my kingdom, my way of living is far different than the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of the world says the powerful are the ones who are in charge. But Jesus says in my kingdom, it's the meek who are going to inherit the, the earth. The kingdom of the world says build up your resume. Look awesome. Look good in front of others. But the kingdom of heaven says to lower yourself more and more to confess your sin because who cares what others think of you the god of the universe loves you and he likes you the kingdom of the world says be productive work climb the ladder of success but the kingdom of heaven says no the work has been done for you on the cross jesus has done the work for you so your call is to now rest to delight to sabbath to slow down because you are not defined by your output. You're defined by King Jesus. So now go and be a servant to others. And here in this parable, Jesus is challenging our version of our kingdom when it comes to our stuff and our time and our energy. The kingdom of the world says, accumulate, for your, accumulate stuff to make your life better. Spend your time on yourself. All the relationships need to be focused and all about you but the kingdom of heaven says the good life is found when you give it all away the good life is found when you give it all away so just hearing that so if we pause right now and we just kind of feel that and take that in uh, honestly i think it would make us a little nervous 
And, and I kind of think that's the point. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. Now, let me just give you two quick disclaimers before we move on. Because I think in the scope of church history and even modern day evangelicalism, I think people have taken this teaching and kind of extrapolated it into two extremes. Uh, extreme number one is what's known as the poverty gospel. This is really big. Uh, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I know when I was in college, this was like the really big thing. The poverty gospel that says, if you really want Jesus to love you and like you, then you need to just drain your bank account right now. If you live in a house or an apartment, you need to get out of there. You need to be homeless and penniless, just like Jesus. And only if you do that will Jesus love you and like you. But that's not what the parable is saying. It's that in the kingdom of heaven, the gospel that Jesus already does love you and like you. He's paid the penalty for your sin, and so you don't have to earn it. It's been given to you. So now as a response to that, give up everything so that you can experience that more and more in your life. And there's this other view. If poverty gospel is one extreme, there's another extreme known as the prosperity gospel that says, man, if you just give all your stuff away, you will get more stuff in return. So give your finances away, and eventually, one day, it's going to come back to you. You're going to get a nice car, a nice house. You'll have great health, a good career, a good marriage. You'll reap just all the material blessings. But that also misses the point of the parable. It doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus. Uh, and in fact, the early church never interpreted it like that either. They often gave everything away and were treated in response with persecution and sometimes even death. And so we use our time and our money to invest in a greater blessing, but not in a physical sense. Rather, the scriptures, when it talks about blessing, often means this deeper intimacy with King Jesus to experience a greater degree of his love in your life, to experience a deeper joy in your soul, a deeper gratitude and contentment that no matter what life throws at you, you're grounded, you're anchored in the God of peace because you are experiencing his kingdom life for you right now. The more we give up, the more we get back. You want family? Jesus says, give up your view of family and get back in return the family of God that will last forever. You want love, Jesus says, give up what you love for his sake and get back the love of God which will never let you down. The kingdom of heaven is not simply just this future abstract idea down the road that happens to you after you die, but as something that you can usher into your life right now and in your life group and in your community right now. That the more open-handed you are with your life in every category, the more the Spirit can work in you and through you to experience all that Jesus wants for you. So the more we give away, the more we get back. And the problem is, while I think all of us would probably agree with this, I would think on a theological level, practically we do not live like this oftentimes, right? Jesus says, essentially, earlier in Matthew, he says, show me your bank account, and I'll show you what really matters most in your life. He actually were to diagnose your heart. Look at your budget. Look at your calendar. Look at where you actually are spending your time and your money and your energy, and I'll show you what your kingdom is really all about. I can show you what kingdom you are really living for. What are you really chasing after? 
Because anything you're loving or spending or chasing outside of Jesus and his kingdom, no matter how good it is, will not last. And it will never give you what you really want deep down in your soul, what you really long for. So let me just ask you before we move on, what's keeping you from experiencing more of the kingdom of heaven in your life right now? If you had to say, Jesus, take everything you want, but don't take this from me, what would it be? Because we all have something. Uh, For me, I think about uh, my family and my job, and uh, I I love my family. I I think they're awesome. I I love my wife. I I think she's great. And we've got three kids, and, and they're not Christians yet, but man, they are just surrounded by people who love Jesus. I mean, that's one thing I just love about uh, life groups is that we do life on life seriously and man my kids are never gonna like grow up thinking it's just mom and dad who love Jesus but man they get to just experience the next 10 years or so of their lives just being surrounded by other people in our church family who love Jesus and who love them and it's like I can't think of anything better for them even when I think about my job, like, I, I legit believe, like, I have a dream job where I just get to teach the Bible and work for a church and uh, hang out with people who I really like and enjoy. And there's this part of me that says, Jesus, take anything and everything else, but don't take these things from me. I'd much rather build my own kingdom out of these things than let your kingdom call the shots. And the problem is when I place my value and my hopes and my dreams into things, I'm inevitably going to get let down. And my wife and my kids and my job will never ultimately fulfill me as great as it all may be. And if I'm so close-handed with these things, then I actually don't allow Jesus to dictate how I ought to leverage those things for his kingdom. And I might actually miss out on all the kingdom blessing that Jesus wants to offer me in those things. In another one of the Gospels, in I believe it's Luke chapter 12, Jesus has another parable known as the parable of the rich fool, where he's essentially taking this idea of the parable of the pearl and the treasure, but flipping it, and we see another parable of this guy who basically just builds his own little kingdom. His life is all about him, his money, his time, his relationships. It's all about the here and the now, and he's not thinking about eternity He's not thinking about the things of God. He only cares about this life. And Jesus says that this person is a fool, which I know that doesn't connect with us. That's like biblical smack talk, like back in the day to be a fool. That word fool in Hebrew is the word havel. And that same word havel can also be translated as empty, as vapor, as nothingness. So to be a fool, according to Jesus, is to spend your life chasing after things that ultimately amount to nothing. To chase after a vapor. It's always out of reach. You're always chasing it, and just when you think it's there, it disappears in front of you. And so you spend your life just chasing one thing after another, but it never gives you the satisfaction that you ultimately crave for. We've even got a psychological term for this. It's known as the sunk cost fallacy. Are you all familiar with this? So the sunk cost fallacy originally came from like the business world where people would pour money into a certain decision or a project in hopes that they would make a lot of money out of it, but it doesn't work out the way that they want. 
And so a sunk cost fallacy is to say, okay, it didn't work out the way that I wanted, but I bet if I spend more time and more energy and more money, then it will be profitable for me. But the sunk cost fallacy is no matter how hard they try, it just never ends up being productive. And they just waste all of their time and all of their energy away. This actually has uh, been lifted into the psychological world. And people recognize this is a psychological disorder. That lots of people live their lives in sort of this sunk cost mindset. One psychologist put it like this. They say the sunk cost effect is the general tendency for people to continue an endeavor or continue consuming or pursuing an option if they've invested time or money or resources into it. That effect becomes a fallacy if it's pushing you to do things that are making you unhappy or worse off. They go on to say all of these things are irrational in the sense that you should realize the money is gone. And you could pause right there and even just blow it up more. Man, realize it's not giving you what your soul wants. It's not giving you the joy deep down that you ultimately desire, but you keep just going after it. And then they say this, but I do think people do these things because they want to convince themselves that they've managed to recapture the loss. Man, that's a, that is heartbreaking, right? People acknowledge that this is a psychological disorder. People living in this unreality where if they just pursue this, then they will finally get what they want, but they don't. So they just keep going over and over and over at it, hoping that finally it will pay off, but it never does. And I think the truth is, for, for some of us in this room, that some of us are living in this sunk cost mindset, living like the parable of the rich fool, just building your life into something that just ultimately won't give you what you really want in this life. Maybe you have a sunk cost mindset when it comes to relationships. I know in, our, in this church family, a lot of single people here this morning, and maybe a sunk cost mindset, you're telling yourself, man, I've invested so much in this relationship. It just has to work out. It just has to work out, and I will do whatever it takes to make it work. And maybe giving it away to the kingdom looks like breaking up with whoever it is and asking Jesus to comfort you with his presence and his love, which will never ever ever disappoint you maybe you have a sunk cost mindset when it comes to career such as man this job is hard or uh, this job I don't get the respect that I want it's not giving me uh, the pay that I want this didn't fulfill me like I thought it would so I better go on to the next job or the next thing or the next career the next city and maybe giving it away to the kingdom looks like learning to be content with where God has you knowing that he's using you and he's using that job to shape you to look more like him. Whatever it is for you, Jesus is calling me and you to say, ultimately, Jesus is saying, let go, give it up, loosen your grip so you can catch hold of all that I want to give you. Give up the chase for your own kingdom so you can get what I am trying to give you. Because the good news is the kingdom of heaven is a place where you and I ultimately belong. And the good news is, is that we don't have to strive to get the kingdom of heaven. We don't need to buy our way into it. The kingdom of heaven has been freely given to us. That while we were building our own little kingdoms, Jesus died for our sin. And he died for our selfishness. And he saw us pursuing our own little kingdoms. Pursuing our own foolish pursuits. 
And he offers us the kingdom right here, right now, as a blood-bought gift that he purchased for us on the cross. So now the call for you and me is to give it all away, to give up striving, to give up chasing, and pursue the one who pursued you first, who made you, the one who loves you, the one who offers you the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. Because there is joy in store for us when we realize what's being made available to us. So to wrap our time this morning, let me suggest just a few really practical ways to go about this this morning, all right? Uh, number one is to consider your habits. Uh, and I will say, all of these practical points all start with the word consider, so you know it's true, right? You're welcome. Number one, consider your habits. So the reality is our hearts are connected to our habits, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, show me how you spend your money. I'll show you where your heart really lies. And if you want to change your heart to be all about the kingdom of heaven, then the call is for us to change our habits, to orient, it, to orient all of that towards his kingdom and what he's about. And this idea may not bring you cheer or joy or whatever, but when you discipline yourself in such a way that you want to be about Jesus and his kingdom and you orient your habits towards that, eventually your heart begins to delight in it. Your heart begins to delight in the discipline that you've created for yourself. So look at your calendar. Where does your time go more often than not? Look at your budget. Where does your money go more often than not? And that reveals to us where our kingdom truly lies. So if you're in a life group, uh, think about your time, think about your money, have your life group speak into you as well. If they love Jesus and love you, then have them help you figure out how to best uh, give away your time and your money and your energy to be all about the kingdom of Jesus and his people and his mission. And if that sounds scary to you, yeah, it should sound a little scary, but there is so much beauty and blessing on the other side of it. So as you're reviewing your calendar and your budget, just ask yourself, honestly, where's my time and my money going? What alternative kingdom am I actually investing in? Am I investing in the kingdom of comfort? Am I investing in the kingdom of hobbies? Am I investing in the kingdom of entertainment? Honestly, ask yourself that and use that as an opportunity to just lay it before the throne of King Jesus and say, I give it up to you. Whatever you want, you get to call the shots. Number two, Consider how to give it away. Consider how to give it away. If Jesus says the more you give up, the more you, give back, the more you get back, then how can we give it all away? So I know this doesn't sound like the sexiest thing in the world, but here's the thing. We plan what we value most. We prioritize what we value most. So if there's something we think is worth our time and worth our effort and energy, we will make a plan to get that. If something happens in our calendar that we didn't expect, that is awesome, that we think is going to benefit us, we will reschedule everything else. We will cancel plans so that we can be about this thing, that whatever's beneficial for us. So when it comes to your time, are you planning and prioritizing the things of God and his kingdom, his people, his mission? Are you building a life group night into your schedule? Are you building relational, missional rhythms in there? Are you planning and prioritizing gathering with God's people on a Sunday? Are you planning and prioritizing spending time in God's word daily to meditate on his love and his grace 
for you. We plan this out. We plan out the things that we think is most valuable for us. We give our time and our money away towards the things we think are most valuable. We have to prioritize that. We have to plan that. So for me, uh, my wife and I, like, life is crazy. Life is super busy. And there is just uh, everything we do, gosh, for the rest of the year is basically planned out, like, hour by hour. Because we just realize uh, the older you get, the more you don't have time, which... uh, just want to crack that myth for you if there's any like college students I used to think man when I get older I will have all the time in the world all the freedom I can do whatever I want if I could just get in a time machine and just smack myself for believing that that is just not true the older you get the less time you have so you have to plan you have to prioritize what you think is going to be most important for your life so for us it's like we know Tuesday nights, that is life group night. We know Thursday night is when we go out and we play trivia as a way to like build missional rhythms. We know Sunday morning we're going to church and we have like really all these things planned out for us and then we, we do that. There's also another myth that says that if your schedule is all booked up, like isn't that restrictive? Like that doesn't sound fun. I want to be free. But the reality is, uh, I would say to that, scheduling and planning is not restrictive if you know what you're living for. If you know what you're living for, then yes, of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to be about Jesus and his kingdom. So yes, I'm going to plan for that. So when it comes to your money, if you want to prioritize the things of God's kingdom, to give it all away, plan it out. Don't wait to get spontaneous with it, because chances are it's probably not going to happen. But rather create a budget. Give your money away consistently. I'll say this, if you're looking for a place to start, uh, give a percentage of what you make to City Church. And I do recognize this is the new guy coming in telling you to give. There was no ulterior motive, just in case you're wondering. They didn't tell me to say that. But that's a great place to start. Uh, Perhaps create a hospitality budget. Maybe put aside a little money each month to buy a meal for someone or to throw a party or to meet a need. Again, it probably is not going to happen spontaneously, but if you plan for it, you build it into your way of life and your way of thinking. And if you have money set aside to be generous, to meet a need, that changes how you perceive, how you go about life. You're just looking for a need, looking for uh, Jesus to present to you something that you can give to And I will say, uh, just even preparing this sermon for the last few weeks, it's been really cool to hear some of the stories that I've heard about City Church and just the way y'all have been so generous. It's it's incredible. I heard a story in one life group of someone's car breaking down, and then in just a matter of like two or three hours, all the money was raised for them to just immediately get their car fixed. That's incredible. I heard about another life group who has been just ongoingly pitching in to pay for counseling fees for someone, for bills, for groceries. Man, that is just so incredible. I love that. I've heard about how y'all have partnered with other churches to provide Christmas presents for foster kids in our city, and y'all gave away more money per capita than any other church that partnered in that together. Like, that is so incredible. And I don't say that just to, like, pat yourselves on the back, but what I do want to acknowledge is that is not normal. Like, that shouldn't feel normal, that y'all just give away to the kingdom of God. And my prayer and my hope for you guys is, like, 
that you just don't settle for that, but that you continue to have this mindset of what more can we give away for the kingdom of God? If this is what we are seeing happen in our church family, what more can we give away? Because this idea of being generous, that is a supernatural work by the Spirit of God to work in your heart, to give up your kingdom and your self-centeredness, to be about someone else, to be about the kingdom of Jesus. That is a supernatural work. So don't settle for it and don't be content with that, but continue to have the mindset of what more, what more can I give away so that I can get back more and more the kingdom of God in my life so that Knoxville can look a little bit more like heaven when I free up my hands to give more and more away to the kingdom of God in this city and in this church family. Last one, we consider Jesus who gave it all away for us. And perhaps the biggest spoiler alert in the whole Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus models for us what it looks like to give everything away for the kingdom. He invests his body and his blood. He gives away his sweat and his tears. And he gives up his very life for the kingdom so that you could be a part of this. So that you and I can experience this. That your sin, your self-interest keeps you from this and yet jesus through the cross and the empty tomb makes a way for you to get this kingdom life into you and because of that you are now an heir to the king no matter what you're a child of the kingdom and nothing can take that away from you and in the meantime our call as children of the kingdom is to get more and more of jesus's kingdom life into us right here right now so let's give it all away following the pattern of King Jesus. Let's give our time away knowing that in Jesus there is no such thing as lost time because we're going to spend forever with him one day in eternity. Let's give away our stuff knowing that we can't take it with us and we will receive so, so much more in the life to come the more we let go of everything we have here. The more we give to the kingdom, the more we look like our king. So let's give it all away. Will you pray with me, please? Jesus, we thank you that you bring us here each and every week to remind us of what is ultimately true. That for those who uh, swear their allegiance to you, who put their faith in you as king, Lord, we now usher in this kingdom of heaven vision. And Spirit, that's what we ask uh, in our hearts as we leave this morning, as we go out. Will you work in us to get more and more of that kingdom life into us? Spirit, will you work in us to be a people who give up everything so that we can see heaven come more and more down into our city? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And, and Father, I recognize that there might be folks even here this morning who might not yet know this love, this sort of joy that you are offering for them. God, I pray uh, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, that they might open up themselves to you to experience your rule and your reign in their life, to give them a peace, a joy, a love, that is far better than anything this world has to offer because it's all a vapor, it's all nothingness. It will never last, but you do. Your kingdom does. Your love for us will last forever and ever. I 
pray, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know that this morning, that they might experience that for the first time. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for what you are doing in this church family. Will you continue to make that more and more a kingdom reality in this church?